um, as Matthew ends his gospel, uh, which might be really familiar to as the Great Commission. Uh, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain uh, to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, Old Testament looking towards Jesus Christ. And then in Matthew 28, Jesus Christ being present with us and um, asserting his authority over everything in heaven and on earth. I mean, giving commands to his people, to his subjects, to his family. Um, in this idea of king, I think for us as Americans, which we are extremely proud to not have a king, uh, sometimes doesn't resonate with us, right? We have bitter feelings even now, um, you know, hundreds of years later after the American Revolution uh, against King George. And we sometimes when uh, things are happening in England, we remember even now, uh, thankfully, we do not have a king although most countries seem to be moving away from uh, that idea as well. Uh, however, I think we often do see, um, even though we might, not, we might not say it, the presidency as some sort of monarchy, as some sort of king, even though we know that um, the president can only be president for eight years, right? Um, but we see him or her in that way, that they will bring a golden age for the country, no matter who it is. Right, Democrat, Republican, uh, maybe at some point independent or something like that. We tend to look at at the president almost like a king. They'll fix the courts. They will fix taxes. They will be just. They will bring economic prosperity. uh, They'll bring fairness and justice and mercy. Um, They will do these things as some sort of sovereign over the land. So even without a king, we hope that our president even might act like one even with all the checks and balances that our government affords us. Uh, Not too differently, Israel wished for a king to lead them. They didn't want just a prophet. They didn't want just judges. They desired to be like the other nations and have a king. So they had Saul, their first king, and Saul failed. If you remember the story, right, David, just this little shepherd boy, not strong like his brothers, just out there tending the sheep, although he was strong because we know he fought off the lion and the bear protecting the sheep, um, brought in the youngest, seemingly not king material, but was anointed. Uh, when that Saul found out, became extremely jealous and went pretty much insane. David then became king and brought about great unity and power. Um, military might over the nations, but he too failed. Solomon, the wisest man to have ever lived in this world, sometimes seemed super foolish, and he failed. Right? Brought idolatry into the kingdom. 
And after Solomon, the kingdom divided and there was suffering, for the most part under the reign of incompetent, godless, and foolish rulers, although there were some shining lights in there like Josiah. Right, World powers, including Assyria and Babylon and Persia, conquered the land, and they became kings over the people of Israel. They did not have a king of their own. And they were... They long for a return to that golden age, the golden age of David, the golden age of a king who ruled and would bring an era of peace and justice and security. And this longing would ultimately be fulfilled by the Messiah, the anointed one, just like David in his line. In this Isaiah passage, the people of, of Israel, God's people, are told they will not suffer under the thumb of a pagan king forever. They will not suffer under their tyranny, under their judgments, that there will be a deliverer, a king, a son of David who is beyond compare, who will rule forever, for eternity. The government shall be upon his shoulder. And we see this in Jesus. His kingdom is forever and ever. And so we look forward and we see Jesus come. Right? Hard to imagine him born in this stable, animals, smell, no pomp and circumstance, and yet he was born a king. And he didn't need the gold. He didn't need the robes. He didn't need the crown. Yet he, those were all his. He was king from the beginning of the ages. He had the authority. It was already his. And so here we look in Matthew and we see Jesus after his ministry, um, after his death, after his resurrection, after showing that he is even king over death and destruction and king over life. He comes back and he gives, um, he reminds his disciples who he is. The 11 come to him, right? Judas isn't there anymore. He's missing. He betrayed Jesus. Jesus had directed them to go to Galilee. Jesus told Mary, Magdalene and uh his mom, to go to Galilee along with the other disciples. And when they, it says when they saw him, they fell down and they worshipped him as Messiah, as the anointed one, as the king. Right? This is what happens to Christians everywhere. When Christ saves you, when Christ changes your heart, when he opens your eyes, uh, you do not see him anymore as just this historical figure, as just a man, but you see him as God, as king, worthy of your obedience, worthy to be bowed down to, as a savior, as king of kings and lord of lords. What's interesting is that this isn't just true of Christians, but at the end of the age when Jesus Christ returns, the Bible says that every knee will bow. Imagine that power, imagine that authority that resides in Jesus Christ. That when he shows up again, there will not be one knee on the earth that will not, that will not bow to him. 
They will see his glory. They will see his return. And they will literally bow a knee even though they never believe because they will because they will they're be so weak in the knees they won't be able to stand in the presence of the king and even though those people in this passage in Matthew doubted those doubters will ultimately bow their knees it wasn't the disciples it was others in the crowd they were hesitant they didn't know. They didn't quite understand. There was there was no there was no um, definition. There was no thought process for seeing someone that they knew had died, had been crucified, by Romans who were skilled in putting people to death. Someone who was buried and wrapped in pounds and pounds of cloth and spices to embalm him. They had no category for seeing this person now before them alive. They still had little faith. They were wondering. They didn't know. His resurrection did not instantly transform men and women to giants of faith. But they doubted and we pray and hope that they believed after seeing Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, all authority... God the Father has given him authority to rule and reign over the world, over the universe, on heaven and on earth. Jesus is our authority. He is our king. Even as a people that cringe against having a king, he is our king. He's the king over everyone, and yet some do not know. They do not believe. They do not trust. They do not bow down. But this authority has been given to Jesus Christ by the Father. And he says, because of that authority, therefore, he's telling his disciples, he's telling his followers, his subjects, his family, I'm giving you commands as your king. Here is your purpose. Here's what you are supposed to do. Go and make disciples of all nations. Go out into the world, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Yes, even here in Jerusalem. There are those who need to follow me. Right? The king gives us orders. He says, go, baptize, teach, obey, follow me. Bring people under my kingship. I'm not a tyrant. I'm not an abuser. I'm not a power-hungry king. The power is already mine. I'm loving and just and merciful. My burden is is light and my yoke is easy. And he says he's with us to the end of the age. So when he gives us commands, we are not powerless. His spirit is now with us. He says that he's going to send a paraclete, a helper, that is going to be with us, that is going to help us do the commands, to hold fast to the promises He has left his spirit with us. This is good news because we cannot make disciples on our own. We cannot change hearts. We cannot go into somebody's heart and reach in, remove the heart of stone, and put in a heart of flesh. That's the spirit's work. So no matter how many things we memorize, no matter 
how much we study apologetics or evangelism, which are all good things. That's part of the obeying Christ and obeying the teachings of Christ is to know these things. No matter how much we do, we are not going to, by our own efforts, be able to change someone to resurrect them from death to life. It's the Spirit's work that does that. But our going and making disciples is under the Spirit's power. So we still are commanded to go and do these things. But it's not us that ultimately saves. It is the Spirit working in and through us and through his word. These kind of these, um, in in church history, in the reform world, these ordinary means of grace. They're called the Lord's Supper. When it's seen, it's the only time that the, the gospel is visible. Lord's Supper and baptism in those sacraments. When the gospel is proclaimed through them, um, through prayer, through the preaching of the word and the communicating of the word to people, through the community of the body. These are ordinary means of grace that bring people into the kingdom of God. This is how God saves people. Now God is free to work outside those ordinary means, but I'm not sure that we should. Because these are the things that God has commanded us to do in order to bring people to himself. Right? We know we all have stories about um, the person that was saved by some extraordinary means of grace. Right? That's why they're called extraordinary. Because they are extraordinary. Like someone who I think of um, my... Uh, my pastor's daughter, who lost her husband in a motorcycle accident right after church. Um, they drove, they went out to lunch. He left, they followed, and they literally drove by the accident. And um, this story always, it like makes me tear up because it's so extraordinary. And God working through even such evil things as death to bring people to Christ. And um, he... Uh, weeks before, he said that he would die if it meant that his parents might know Jesus. And he died. This isn't some like speak your future into existence kind of nonsense. This is, was his heart. And God in his providence used this accident and his death so that the gospel might be proclaimed by his wife at his funeral, that his parents might hear and actually come and respond to the gospel and believe in Jesus Christ, that's extraordinary. But we're not going to start a ministry around that, right? around car accident deaths so that the gospel might go forward. That happens in life, and we might use those opportunities to proclaim the gospel, but our charge is to pray, is to preach, is to proclaim, is to be faithful in how we take the Lord's Supper and we baptize those into covenant community. Because Christ is with us in these things by his Spirit. It's how we grow. It's not the extraordinary, but the ordinary means of grace. So how do we look at this as king? 
Um, and you'll hear me over and over again talk about these three categories, really four, of how under discipleship that we are, we are family, we are missionaries, we are servants, all under the king's authority. That we are the family of the king in 1 John 1. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of will, but nor of our flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This means that as a believer, you are part of the king's family. And if you think about that royalty, in a sense, the inheritances of the king that you now have because you are part of that family. And this idea of a healthy, loving, committed, caring family is so powerful today where families are just torn apart, are broken, and sin entering into these families and things that we can't imagine. Um, People being abandoned, looking for hope. And here we have a king that loved us so much. He said, you were an enemy of mine, and yet I brought you in to my family, and I love you. And I care for you. And all that is mine is yours. All my righteousness is now yours. And I take all your sin as mine. That we are related, not by blood. You know, I mean, we probably, if we did like a, uh, one of those DNA tests, like the 23andMe or whatever, it probably, like, I bet we could, maybe somebody here was related to somebody else. Maybe, you know, triple dozen second cousins or something like that. Out from, I mean, because in the sense we're all related, right? Um, but that's not how we are related as children of the King. We are related because we share the same common blood of Jesus Christ. This is what Je- this is what Jesus does when He creates, and God created when He created the first family, Adam and Eve, yet without sin and nothing separated them. They lived in perfect harmony. With, themselves, with each other and with God. They loved each other. They loved God perfectly, but sin entered into the world and broke that relationship, not only between them, but between them and God. And so for centuries and millennia, we've been having strife between families, between ourselves and with our spouses or with our children or with our, our parents We've had brokenness and sin. And we see that. We see Cain and Abel. And we see the sons of Solomon. Right? He's supposed to be this wise, almost perfect father. And yet even his family was broken. In the New Testament, Jesus enters the picture and we hear, but sin. And then we hear, but God being rich in mercy. But God, who is abundant in love, the God who's been pursuing us and chasing us, even as we see in Isaiah 9, all the way to Matthew 28 and beyond, he wants us to be part of his family. And the call is not just to be that, but it's to be servants of this king. And we know that it's hard to serve. Right? Is it hard to serve your brother or your sister? Is it hard to serve your parents? your husband, your wife. It can be hard to serve, and yet we are called to serve. I mean, Jesus, when he was washing the feet of his disciples, they were like, no, 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 this is our job to you. And he said, no, the Son of Man 
didn't come to be served. The Son of Man came to serve. This is the king serving. We don't want to do this. We resist kings. We resist serving. We want to be our own king. And yet, Christ has called us to be servants. He's called us to serve. Our hearts are not inclined to it. We are a me-centered people, but Jesus offers a new way. Jesus, our servant king, offers a way to bless. Right? Again, to be better to give than to receive. It doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect, amazing servants right away. But it means that our hearts are now um, in tune towards that working towards not rejecting it. And then when we do, we're convicted and we repent and we put our faith in Jesus Christ again, again and again and say, oh, I'm sorry, I will serve out of love, not out of obligation. And then lastly, we are missionaries of the king. We are sent out by Jesus and by his authority to make disciples who make disciples, to serve, to love, to bring others under the authority and kingship of Jesus Christ. This is good news for us, that the missionaries aren't just those that um, I prayed for this morning and we prayed for as a congregation of those, the Grottens going to Chile and Mike Foster in Romania. Those are missionaries going to foreign soil, but we are missionaries as well. We are called to that. We're called to a life of loving and serving our neighbors and when opportunities arise, sharing the gospel with them so that they too might be under the kingship of Jesus Christ. And the, the good news here is that we've been called to different purposes, and even though we will fail, that Jesus Christ says, you are still my child. You are still part of my family. Oh, you failed again? You're still part of my family. I know that I'm a sinner, just like everyone here. Right? I grew up and I sinned, and my parents are like, you're still part of this family. You're still part of this family. I remember this one time, I was bothering my brother in the car. It was like one of those, when you're a kid, like really annoying trips to like the kitchen cabinet store. <laughs> you know, like, you're just like, why do we have to be here? I'm really bored. So like you're bored and you're poking and prodding. And... Um, and my, my, my mom, she's not here, but she'll love this story when she hears it later from my dad. <laughs> was so mad, right? She, I was going to be disciplined. And I was freaking out. The door opened. I know because my kids freak out. I guess he, my kids freak out in the same way that I did. And it was like, and I said, Jesus, for, you don't need to punish me because Jesus forgives me already for my sins. <laughs> As a little, little theologian already. Um, and I remember hearing, that's not what that means. <laughs> But it's true that we are forgiven. doesn't mean there's not consequences, right? But it means that we are forgiven and loved and we will never be cast away. Um, This is good news when Jesus Christ is our king. Uh, John Calvin says this. He says, we may patiently pass through this life with its misery, with its cold, with its contempt, with its reproaches and other troubles. Content with one thing, 
that our king will never leave us destitute, but will provide for our needs until our warfare ended and we are called to triumph. How comforting is that? When the world is crashing around us, when things are going wrong, when we are off the rails with sin, that Jesus Christ still says, you are my family and I will never leave you. And you are called, I will never leave you destitute and I will provide for all your needs until I call you home and you are now glorified. I'm going to close with this. Whenever I talk about the kingship of Jesus, Jesus, I can't help but remember a famous sermon by S.M. Lockridge. It's uh, called, That's My King, Do You Know Him? And immediately you'll say, this is not Joe's words because it sounds like a true kind of old school African-American preacher, and that's what it is. Um, it's pretty lengthy, and I don't normally do this, but I love it so much. You can actually, if you go listen, you can hear it on YouTube, his actual sermon. Um, it's, it's pretty good. This is the end of it. Uh, the, and I'm not going to do it justice, but bear, bear with me. The Bible says, my king is a seven-way king. He is the king of Jews. That's a racial king. He is the king of Israel. That's a national king. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he is the Lord of lords. That's my king. He says, well, I wonder, do you know him? David says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim his handiwork. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. Not far from seeing, not far, no far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessings. He is enduringly strong. He is entirely sincere. He is eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's immortally powerful. He is impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He is a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands in the solitude of himself. He's awesome. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. He's the miracle of the ages. He's the superlative of everything good that you, cho- that you choose to call him. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and he sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives the sinners. He discharges the debtors. He delivers captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. I wonder, do you know him? Well, my king is the king. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring to wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, 
His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. But he is indescribable. He is incomprehensible. He is inconceivable. He is irresistible. Well, he says, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off your hand. You can't live without him and you can't live, you can't live, you can't outlive him and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah, that's my king. That's my king. Father, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. How long is that? When you get through all the forevers and there's still more. He says, amen and amen. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for great pastors, preachers like S.M. Lockridge. Their language and their words that... um, stir our passions, that stir our imaginations towards the indescribable and trying to describe what the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is like. We pray that today we would bow our knees in worship. To Jesus Christ, knowing one day in judgment we will all bow down We pray that we would know him, that he would be our king. We pray in your name. Amen.